I love you. And for those who are visiting this morning, this is how I start every message on Sunday mornings. And for those who just said it back to me, I'm, I'm asking myself this question. How can you know for sure I love you, and how can I know for sure that you love me? The reason I ask this is because this word love has so many meanings. It's capable of describing lots of different things. So many different scenarios. If you heard me say, I love my wife Penny, would you believe that? Thank you. <laughs> if you heard me say, I love my two boys, Rivers and Wells, I've probably done over 25 weddings. And at each wedding, I have heard every couple say, I love you. Am I to believe them? How would I know it to be true? Examples of love. Love is a word we use to describe an awesome meal. I love a good filet or a ribeye. Love is how we describe our drink from Starbucks. Love is the term we use when we talk about a song, our favorite team, a movie. It's been said by some youth workers that love is what two high school students have every couple of months. And love is what God has for us. God so loved the world. So obviously, this word love has a broad spectrum for us. Different meanings, different depths. What does love mean? We hear songs that kind of contradict each other. Love the one you're with, or you've lost that loving feeling, or what's love got to do with it? So our culture obviously doesn't have a clue either. So where do we go to get it defined? More importantly, who gets to define love? I think most of us would agree that the love God gives and affirm is quite different than the world gives. In fact, in the context of Mark's gospel, it talks about God's love being a out-of-this-world, literally, kind of love. A love that only God can give and that God can produce in us and through us. And by the way, just I do love him. No questions there. This morning we look at a scribe that comes to Jesus and asks Jesus a couple of questions. And Jesus' response, of course, has to do with love. In fact, the title of the message this morning is Love God. And love others from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 37. But before we go into the text this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the songs that we have sung, for the encouragement that we hear from John and Marisi about what you're doing in other parts of the world. We thank you for the time we get to rehearse your truth and the time we get to 
Explore the depths of your word with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, we pray this morning that you would find us attentive and ready to hear from you and ready to respond to you. Would you take a minute and pray for the person beside you, behind you, or in front of you, that they would hear and respond to the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 37 is what we'll be reading. If you don't have your Bibles, the words should be on the screen. Verse 28, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one. And there is no one else besides him, and to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions, and Jesus began to say as he taught in the temple, How is it? That the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. Interesting exchange between Jesus and this scribe, and we first see the scribe ask an important question, what commandment is foremost of all? In other words, what's most important? The approach of this scribe comes immediately on the heels of the controversy with the Sadducees, and again implying that Jesus is engaged in nonstop challenges and debate in the temple. Matthew 22, 34 and 35 say, But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. So now we know that this scribe is also a lawyer. Now, scribes were experts in theology and law. In fact, they studied theology to help determine their laws. For the first time since arriving in Jerusalem, we see Jesus confronted not by a group of people, but by an individual. And it appears from Mark that, that this scribe has been listening. And he's been present during this discussion with the Sadducees. And he's probably informed the others what had been taking place of the Lord's wisdom. Now notice how he's described in verse 28. Four very insightful words. The scribe came. The scribe heard, the scribe recognized, and the scribe asked. So there's something different about his approach to Jesus than the, other, the others that had been seen by the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, or the Sadducees. 
There was a personal interest. There was a personal pursuit. His personal interaction with Jesus included the emphasis on him hearing what Jesus had to say. Now, he may have come to test Jesus, but the testing wasn't to trick or trap as much as it was to test Jesus for himself. So here we see Jesus and this scribe. And this sincerity of the scribe coming to Jesus turns out to be a positive one. But we have to remember that this scribe is still not on Jesus' team yet. Jesus was a threat to all their belief systems. But one writer said this, As he witnessed the breathtaking intelligence of Jesus and the answering of the question of resurrection and the re- refuting of what was said with a quotation from Exodus 3.6, which was the heart of the Torah, he found himself inwardly applauding Jesus and silently drawn to him. And before he knew it, he was asking Jesus one of his own questions. What commandment is foremost? Which one is most important? Now, one thing you have to recognize about um, Judaism is that there was this double tendency thing that happened. There was this tendency to expand the law limitlessly into hundreds and hundreds of rules and regulations. But there was also this tendency to bring all those rules and regulations into one sentence. There were two schools of thought. There were some that believed that there were lighter views of the law, which really was just a a principle-driven thing. And one example of that kind of thinking is from St. Augustine, 300 years after Jesus, who said, love God and do whatever you like. But there were others who were much more against this kind of thinking in Jesus' day, who held to that the smallest principle was equally binding, that all of them had to be fulfilled. Now, this question reflects, in this culture at this time, the scribes, which were the law writers, had come up with 613 different laws. 365, which were negative, 248, which were positive, and they had divided them into heavy or light laws. More important or less important. So this scribe, with all this background in his mind, 613 laws, comes to Jesus and says, which one is most important? Now, the scribe was not meaning the first in order, but the first in weight and dignity. And here's an example. When we're at our jobs, we ask this kind of question. We're given tasks by our boss, and we begin that question. Which one of these needs to be done first? It's like a mechanic. A mechanic may say, you really need tires but it's not really going to matter if we can't get the engine going. That's how the scribe is coming to Jesus. Both are important, but they differ in priority. Now, I think it needs to be said or clarified that there's not any commandment of God that is little or not of not importance. That's not what the scribe was suggesting either. All the commands of God deserve full attention. But there are some greater ones, 
than others as far as impact or from what they proceed from. For instance, 1 Corinthians 13. Love first, then serve. If not, you're a loud, noisy, clanging cymbal. Love, then serve. That is the question the scribe, is a, uh, the scribe is asking. What commandment is foremost of all? So it's a great question for both then and for now. And Jesus responds by summarizing the commandments. Now, although the intent of the scribe doesn't seem to be as strong as the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Sanhedrin, Jesus knows he's still being closely watched. Remember, this is getting close to the time of his crucifixion. And people and Pharisees, religious leaders, are watching. So Jesus has to be always on his toes. Now, of course, once again, Jesus answers with the perfect answer, and it's a two-part answer. And the first and foremost, it says this. Jesus answered in verse 29. The first, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus always gives the perfect answer. He answers with the quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now, this passage in Deuteronomy is known as the Shema. The Shema or the Shema is an imperative of the Hebrew verb to hear. It is a command. It's also called the first words of the, the law and the, uh, the Deuteronomy and the prophets uh, to, to set the tone of worship. It has three different places and uses, and the first one is in worship. It's the call to worship, if you will. It's the declaration that God is the only God. The second... The three passages of the Shema were contained in phylacteries, these little leather boxes uh, that Jews wore on their forehead and on their wrists. Uh, they were put on their forehead and on their wrists because they would always be reminded that here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You can still see these in, in Israel today. The command to wear phylacteries comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. And the, the third is the Shema, this here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, is also found in these, uh, these boxes that people, the Jewish nation, would put on their doorpost in a thing called the mezuzah. And they would put it on the doorpost, and as they went out, they would be reminded that here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You see them all over the place. The mezuzah. The Lord your God, our God, is one Lord. Single sentence. It's the real creed of Judaism. Uh, one commentator tried to parallel it with Christianity by saying, it is to them what the Lord's Prayer is to Christianity. Very important. It was recited every morning and every night. Most times when your eyes are covered, you recite this verse. And the reason you recite it is the same reason we close our eyes when we pray. It enhances concentration. Now notice this. It gives this reference that the Lord God being one. Why is that in there? It seems like a strange, almost obvious statement. In fact, Matthew and Luke leave it out of their account of the passage, but it is crucial because the obligation to love God is based on his oneness. In other words, because he is one, love for him must be undivided. 
The other thing it shows is this. This is a statement that God is not only God of the Jews, but of the Gentiles, of all people. There is no other God, and therefore God has a rightful claim to all people. Now this is the first statement of Jesus. It was as if he was getting all the attention of all the people who were there. And two basic commands come following after that. The first is found in verse 30. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now let me just stop and ask a question, a reflective question. What comes to your mind when you hear that this is the command of Jesus to us? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all my strength. What would you say to him after he said that to you? If it was just you and him. This emphasized the necessity of a total response of love and worship to God. Now, in Deuteronomy, you'll notice that there were only three, heart, soul, and strength. But Mark quotes a fourth, which is the mind or understanding. Jesus was placing together all that a person is, which removes our right to choose a limitation of our love. To help me do this, sometimes I have introduced this practice in my life because I don't know if you are like me, but sometimes I need help being reminded. Anybody else need reminding? So sometimes I will we'll pray this way. I'll put a, a cross on my forehead, God, every, every thought. I'll put a cross on my lips and say, God, every word. And I'll put a cross on my heart to say, God, every motive I have. Bring it under your lordship and your love. Amen. All of who I am to love all of who God is. One writer said this, the measure of our love to God is to love him without measure. For the immense goodness of God deserves all the love that we can possibly give him. All of our hearts. This word in the Greek is cardio, where we get the word cardiology. It's, it's the idea that the heart pumps everything that it needs for the body. The heart has been described as the life organ. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. And then you have the soul, it's the essence of who we are. And he finishes with all our strength. In other words, not to be lazy when it comes to loving God. Now, I don't know if, if you are like me in this, but just in case your mind and heart start to feel a little guilty or shameful, when you start thinking about loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, because I know sometimes I'm lazy, this command is not a command of condemnation. This command is a law from Jesus not to make us perform and feel guilty, but it is an invitation to find purpose and freedom. 
Now stop and think about what Jesus said in the commandment he gave. If to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is the greatest commandment, what would be the most serious sin? To not do that. To love ourselves. Jesus, when we think about him, there was never a time where he did not fully love his father. And that's why it's true that only he can be the one to save us because he's the one that can only fully love. Here's something I'm trying to live in, and I want to encourage you to understand this as well. You, are, you and I are fully known by God, and we're fully loved. God invites us to know and love him the same way. There's a second command that Jesus gives in this, and it's this. Love your neighbor... As yourself. This command comes from Leviticus 19.18 where it says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now the first part of this says the sons of your people. It meant fellow Israelites, your fellow Jewish neighbors. And Jesus quoted it without qualifications and says you're to love everybody. Jesus said to love all. Love the ones that are not like you, that maybe are even against you. Love the ones that are outcasts, not part of your clique, or even in your comfort zone. We are to love white people, African American people, Latino people. We're to love people from Bluffton, Okatee, Ridgeland, and people from the south end of Hilton Head. We're to love people from... I thought you'd find that funny. It gets better. We're to love people from down south and people from up north. Republicans are to love Democrats. Democrats are to love Republicans. We're to love people whose lifestyle is different, love people who don't have money and people who do, love people who love Jesus and love people who don't love Jesus. To love without conditions without any sort of expectation from them in return, Jesus says to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Now some of you may be asking, well, who's my neighbor? Well, if you remember in Luke chapter 10, this same scenario comes up where a scribe comes up, a lawyer comes up, asks Jesus, and they said, he says, well, who's my neighbor? And what does Jesus answer? He answers with the Good Samaritan story. And if you remember the story, a man was attacked by robbers. He was stripped of his clothes. He was beat up. He was left for dead on the side of the road. And some people passed by him. Included in those people were a priest and a Levite. But a good Samaritan person stopped and helped him. And if you remember, it was the Samaritans that the Jewish people hated. And then Jesus says, which one was the neighbor? And they answer, well, the Samaritan. Jesus says to these Jews that they are even to love the hated Samaritans and Gentiles. It was a radical thought for the Jews. And we're not just to love them a little bit. Jesus says we're supposed to love them like we love ourselves. So let's talk about that for a minute. How much do you love yourself? Let me ask you some questions. When you're hungry, do you eat? Do you eat something that tastes really terrible or do you eat something that's good? And when you're tired, do you rest? Do you rest with soft covers and pillows? 
Or do you love yourself with all that? Before you leave the house, I'm assuming that you put on clothes. Are they dirty old clothes, or do you pull out clothes that you think you look good in? When you're hurting, do you try to relieve the pain? I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. But I'm wanting us to step back a little bit and see how much we really take care of ourselves because we really do love ourselves. As I heard in college, me, 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 I love myself. I have my picture on my shelf. (laughs) We really do love ourselves. And not just like, I guess I'm going to love myself today. We, We go out of our way. To love ourselves. We love ourselves well. We love ourselves. Even when we do things wrong. We can love ourselves and give ourselves grace. And we not only love ourselves meaning the physical. We love ourselves in the spiritual. We we love ourselves because we desire God's comfort, we desire God's peace, and we desire God's eternal life because we love ourselves too. We want those things from God. And Jesus says to us, love others with this love as well. To love them into the kingdom, love others like you love yourself. That's what Jesus taught as the golden rule in Matthew seven twelve. And everything... In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Now think about who he's talking to. The scribes and the Pharisees, they love themselves. And they love the law and the prophets. And so Jesus is saying, love others like you love yourself. Like you love the law and the prophets. It's a perfect answer for this scribe. Now let me ask you this question as you're thinking. Which of these commandments of Jesus seem to you in your mind, in your life with God, seem to be the hardest? Loving God or loving others? And the reason I ask that in some ways is to bring out the point that Jesus never really gives us a choice. He doesn't say love God or love others. He says love God and love others. It's a new thing Jesus is doing. No rabbi had ever done that before, combining these two together. Jesus is saying proven faith to Jesus is loving God and loving one another. But which is foremost? Loving God. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All people, in all places, and at all times, just like Jesus does. Remember what Jesus said 
his new commandment. Listen to this from the message. Let me give you a new commandment. Love one another in the same way that I loved you. You love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. Later on, he says in Matthew, on these two commands, on these two commands hangs the whole law and the prophets. Love God. Love others. And so how did they respond? Verses 32 through 37. Verse 32, the scribe is listening to this, and he starts with this phrase. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher. Now, most commentaries think that, that was, that's not a good translation in the fact that it doesn't show the, the depth of it. It's almost like he was saying, Beautifully said, or, or what a beautiful answer. Verse 32, interesting enough, is the only place in the Gospels where a scribe is described as being favorable to Jesus. Think about it. Nowhere else, nobody else from the religious leaders had ever said, Right on, Jesus. Good answer. It goes to show that this scribe was listening to something. Now, notice something significant about verse 33. It's pretty significant. The scribe says something in verse 33. He says, To love God and love others are much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that in his response. Which led Jesus to say to the scribe, You're not far from the kingdom of God. You've answered intelligently. Meaning that you're thinking through this. You're starting to understand so many times in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus would say something and people, and, and the little phrase at the end of the story, but they did not understand. But they did not understand. And now we see the scribe understanding it. The scribe used is used to looking at the letter of law, but now we start to see the scribe looking at the heart of the law. In verse 34, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, a scribe can attest if somebody is faithful to the law, but only, only Jesus can make that statement. Only Jesus sees the heart and knows if somebody's fit for the kingdom of God and eternal life. Now, when I picture this scene between this scribe and Jesus, I, I think in Jesus' face, on his countenance, there is an invitation, there is a love, there is a drawing in to say to this scribe, you've come this far, go one more step. Now, we don't know for sure if this scribe ever turned and followed Jesus. We can hope so. But it's important to note here that Jesus is not after the right answer. He's after the heart. Jesus knew the man had answered intelligently. He answered as one that allowed himself liberty and leisure to consider the heart. But it leads me to ask this question of us. Is there much difference in loving God and trusting Him? What about in your life? Is there a difference? 
Would you say, if I asked this morning, do you love God? Do you love God? Most people, when asked that question, would most likely come back pretty quick and say yes. Which leads to the follow-up question, to say you love God, does that mean you also trust God? By saying that the scribe is not far, Jesus encouraged him to go the remainder of the way to trust him. And although the scribe was close, although he was near, he didn't have the courage. He wanted, Jesus wanted him to have the courage to take one more step. Being near or almost there is not being there. Did you get that? You would think after this conversation that many would come up and ask him, but verse 35 says, after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Verses 35 and 37, how is it that the scribes, Jesus is asking this, saying, how is the scribe that say that Christ is the son of David? David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he son? And a large crowd enjoyed listening to him. Verses 35 to 37, we get this kind of shift in Jesus' answer. Like, why is he going straight to there? Like, he's just asking him about loving God, and now he's just asking about David and the Lord and Christ and sitting at his feet. I don't understand. Well, here's what's happening. Jesus, of all the titles in the New Testament and to the people, he was considered the son of David. We hear it cry it out all the time. And so there was this messianic lineage that Jesus is, is understanding about what they're thinking about him. And he's saying, yes, I am the son of David, but I'm also Lord. I was David's Lord, which meant a lot to the scribes and Pharisees. And I've come to be your Lord as well. David's Lord had to become man, and he was standing straight in front of the scribe. This angered the scribes, but the large crowd or common people enjoyed listening to him. I want to listen, uh, give you three questions to consider this week. As you look over your life, ask yourself this question, what's most important? Your schedule, your money, your time, your phone, What's most important? This scribe asked Jesus this question. And Jesus basically comes back and says, is the love of God and the love of others most important to you? There is one God who has the right to my undivided attention. The second question is, am I loving God and loving others? Only you and God can answer that question. But I bet if we take some time to examine ourselves, we quickly see... So much easier to love myself than it is to love you. I love being right. Anybody else love being right? Do I love you more than I love me being right? The third one is this Are you near? Or are you in the kingdom of God? There are times when it just takes that one step 
and then you're off to a new destination. It, it reminds me of this analogy. When a man and woman stand at an entrance to a plane, all it takes is one step and they're off to a new destination. They can stand one step out of the plane and believe the plane can fly, they believe the pilot can fly, they believe they're going to get to their destination. But if they can believe all that and be near all that, but unless they take that step into the plane, their destination doesn't change. So the question is, are you near or are you in the kingdom of God? My prayer is that if anybody's here who has not received God's unconditional love found in the person of Jesus and his work on the cross, that this would be the morning that you would receive the love of God, that you would be able to receive it you'd be able to return your love to God and love others. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this interaction of the scribe and Jesus. We thank you for the questions. We thank you for the answers. And now, God, we pray that all that we've read and that we've looked at this morning by your Spirit would enter our hearts that you would help us know what it looks like to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that you would teach us on a daily basis to love others. Help us with all that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. stand together and respond to God's word this morning. Let's sing of Jesus, the lamb who was slain for